Welcome to another episode of A Pint with Shawnee B. Thank you so much for all of your tweets, twats and shares. Uh, the audience is growing uh, every time a new one comes out and I thank you all for tuning in every 10 days when I launch one. I have a very interesting guest today. I'm coming to you from sticky Singapore, <laughs> uh, Mount Faber. I'm in the home of a very good friend of mine, Julie Sherborne. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Sean, and welcome to my humble abode. No, it's very, it's not, you should see it, it's not that <laughs> humble at all. Julie is somebody who has been one of the uh, most successful business women in uh, Asia over the last two, three decades since she came here. She's currently working in uh, the non-for-profit business and has spent most of her career pioneering many of the biggest media houses across the region. When you hear her talk, you will hear a accent. She's Welsh. Where were you born? Oh, I was born in the valleys, in the eastern valleys in Evervale, in South Wales. Mm. So, yes, and when I say that, yes, the accent does come out. You are absolutely right. Was that mining area? It was indeed. In fact, my grandfather was a miner. Really? Um, so uh, in the marine colliery, which along with so many in other industries right now, it doesn't no longer exist. Yeah, um, right. And was what was it like growing up there? I didn't grow up. I was born in Evervale, but I grew up um, more towards the coast um, uh, near Cardiff. To, uh, Did you live near that village that has the longest name? And can you say it? <laughs> <laughs> Even before finishing the pint, I can say it, yes. Go on, say it. That, my friends, is, I think, the longest uh, place name in the world. <laughs> and what was, it, were you, was your background, were you, were you working class, or was, what, what were your parents doing? I guess so. I think my father um, realised that industry in the in the valleys was uh, was declining even then and so moved us out and uh, moved us down to the coast and my brother and I went to school uh, near, near Newport um, it was a it was a fun childhood I, we were quite a sporting family my father was very sporting now what did he do when he moved to, to he the was coast? in the steel industry right. um, and then moved to work for um, British Aerospace at okay. Hilton in Bristol as sort of systems integration engineering and that sort of thing was your mum a housekeeper housewife no um, well she was when we were born but no mum worked um, when we were growing up she worked in the pathology department at okay. the, one of the local hospitals um, uh, I guess both my parents were quite science driven mm. in their in their approach um, uh, both my brother and I tended towards a more creative side of things like yeah. I would say my father dragged me kicking and screaming through my maths and physics O levels I was the same yeah so <laughs> Funnily enough, works, right? straight C student. <laughs> um, what and did you go to college there, Ben? I ended up going to college in Cardiff um, to journalism school. Uh, I'd been. I, it was pretty obvious um, quite early on that I had a, a knack or a skill in terms of writing, creative mm. writing, um, and also a skill for being able to explain things in quite a simple form. Or a direct form, yeah. believe it or not. Um, and I mean, you know, at, at school I'd always I'd produced plays, I'd, I'd edited my school magazine, um, all those usual um, 
yeah. usual things. So um, eventually, I mean, to be honest, I ended up with, with journalism because every other course when I looked at uh, universities and things, I was like, three, four years? You've got to be kidding. I've got more things to do with my life. Yeah. Did I hear, did you tell me once that you got into sports journalism when you came out of college? That's correct, yeah, yes. I remembered something. That's good. Uh, I um. To me, actually, the first thing I did was I covered motorsport for oh, yeah. um, local papers on a freelance basis. Formula um, 3 sort of thing? Formula 3, um, special saloons. Right. Motorbikes, Barry Sheen back then? No, I didn't do motorbikes until I moved into, um, into the sports position on a newspaper. Um, but I'd always been interested in sport, which I'd done there. We share a uh, love of Manchester United, who are fallen on hard times at the moment but uh, and what was so that was the bi- so your big break was into a head of sports no team. no not at all I I mean it was I'd done all the um, the sort of the cub rounds of, of reporting and yeah, news reporting uh, criminal courts that sort of thing uh, I, the first place to offer me a job was the Lincolnshire Echo oh that well known absolutely bastion of journalism um, Lincoln City, the imps. The imps, yeah. So I am... Um, you know what? They wouldn't have given me the job. I, I, I don't consider myself particularly to be a feminist or a women's trailblazer mm. or anything like that, but I don't think they would have given me... The job became available of the sport, the soccer writer mm. on, the, on the paper. So I applied for it. Um, didn't assume I'd get it. I'm still convinced the only reason I got it because I was probably cheaper all the guys. Um, I mean, it, there would have been very few female soccer writers. Second one right. to be appointed in the country. Yeah. Julie Birchall was already working in um, in the Times in, 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 in London and sort of blazed a trail there. But I. Um, what was it like, you know, going into a sweaty dressing room and? trying to get interviews well you know what I mean well, but the, the thing that happened with me the first thing that the club did so I, I was appointed Lincoln Echo so the team I was re- responsible for was um, Lincoln City right the first thing the club did was, was ban me from the away team coach why was that and because I was a woman and oh. the comment was the women the, the coach is an unfit place for a woman to be because right. it's an extension of the dressing room but what happened, the first I knew about it, I happened to be in the, um, in London that weekend and uh, I got a phone call from uh, Times of London right. saying, we understand you've been appointed to this position. Um, we know, we've heard they've banned you. Um, what are you going to do about it? So you're becoming the news. And I was like, what are you talking about? So I called my sports editor. I said, what's going on? What's going on? And they said, well, look, they've banned you from the bus and it's gone. I, I, I went quickly from, yeah, from, from being thrilled to have been appointed to, yes, be, being the news. And it was, I mean, Cosmopolitan ran a cartoon with a suitably endowed woman as a referee and a, a various caption. Um, we had local MPs. Um, say no, this should go to the European Court wow. of Equal Opportunity. And Meanwhile, back at the typewriter. Back at the typewriter. <laughs> my, I was very fortunate to have a sports editor who said, you are not a woman football writer, you're a football writer, get out there and do your job. Right. So that's what I had to do, but I couldn't go on the bus. Did the players know, were the, were the players cheeky or understanding or... 
combination of all of them. I am. Um, I mean, I know there was a certain bet going on on the uh, dressing room. Who get into your pants first? Basically. Who did? Nobody. <laughs> hey, look. I mean, you know, it's a it's a book that you could write about that sort of thing for certain, but. If you were, I pretty much knew I wanted to have a degree of credibility. Of course, yeah. And so, how many of the grounds have you visited? Would you reckon in your in your beat? I've never been to Anfield, believe right. it or not. Anfield, as I call it, to be grammatically correct, it's I've not Anfield. It's Anfield. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've never been to Newcastle. Right. I've been to most of the others. Really. Yeah. You also were a referee. Was this around the time you were a referee, or when did you become a referee? Yeah, well, <laughs> the whole... You know, as if the journalism wasn't enough. No, I'm going to become a fucking referee. <laughs> How did that come about? Um, well, the, the local referees association thought, well, we need more guys to get in to, to study, to, to do the, the course. So mm. maybe if we get this girl to come in along then and do the, do the course they'll sign up as well. I'm not sure that worked. But, I mean, I couldn't say no, because why the hell? How the hell can I write about the game if I don't know the rules? Yeah. So, yeah, so I qualified as a Class 3 referee, which means you could, you could um, do schoolboys up to 40 Sundays, some Sunday soccer games. And did you do a lot of refereeing then? Uh, not a lot, but enough. Right. And I, it was shortly before I came to Singapore, came to Asia, and when I first arrived here, I did some games. I mean, it's so damn hot. I know. I'm actually, it's- I remember using you for a, a, an ad campaign that I did when I first came here, and we had you dressed as a referee. Do you remember that? For Lady Card, UOB. I'd, you know what? I'd forgotten about it, but um, funny enough, I was sorting through paperwork. There it was. Offices, and there it was. We took a picture of Julie dressed as a referee in a changing room, and it was like... Yeah, oh. one in a, restrain, a changing room and one in, uh, in my office gear. Yeah. In Donna Karen. <laughs> about the dichotomy in my life. How, why did you end up stopping doing the, the sports writing or what, what happened there? I never intended to stop. Um, so yes, it was the end of the season and it just, you know, what, what am I going to do now? So I was decided I'd do some travelling. And the whole idea was, oh, you know, I'll get on the plane, I'll do the Australia leg thing and go yeah. back start by the start of the next season and uh, get a job in one of the nationals. So I'm so blasé. Mm. <laughs> um, had you worked out that you loved journalism now that, that that was going to be it or did you feel it like, did you feel like you'd found your passion I knew I liked communicating I, I, I think I was aware of that I had an ability to influence people positively or negatively mm-hmm. and to do it in a I would hope in a non-confrontational manager, manner yeah. Although I don't necessarily think that's the perception people have of me. No, I agree. Yeah. So, um, I, and I'm still a great lover of the of the written word mm. or the communication, communicative word. Mm. Um, I, I I think it's it's been I'm bringing things bang up to date. I think the fact that the New Yorker magazine just got a Pulitzer for its work yeah. on on the potential next big one in the Pacific Northwest, or the, um, the story that broke around um, uh, about the Panama Papers. The fact that that was done, um, you know, the st- that the papers were leaked to a German um, uh, 
media media house who then put it out to an international journalist yeah. syndication who then fact-checked and were able to put together an accurate story now whether or not it comes out what's legal and what's illegal in yeah. that but the fact that you there is that still still that um, hunger to discover that and to deliver it in an informed and um, authoritative fashion I think is fantastic and I think that the same about art or and you you will laugh at this or not be surprised at this I should say I, I look back at people or I look at people who I consider to be driving for perfection and not believing they attain it um, I've been watching recently some old video clips of Brian Wilson mm-hmm. in the 60s and how he created pet sounds and yeah. you know the uh, the amount of tape that went I mean when when good vibrations was um, when he made it I mean it was at that time the most expensive single that had ever been made but you watch the wrecking crew the band in the in the studio and how he saw it as his you know the whole thing is his pocket symphony and it's just it's beautiful to watch yeah. and I think it will be very sad whether it's a, a blogger or an editor or a copywriter or um, or an actor or anything else the moment they stop pushing for to be the best or to stop finding new frontiers I think yeah. that would be a big shame well there's I mean there's anyone can do it now you know, as well, there's the, the, yeah. there's there's huge competition. Um, I think the worrying thing is whether people can actually, whether people, whether we can differentiate mediocrity from something that is, you know, just superb, and and whether we can deliver in the soundbite, which is so soundbitey, soundbitey, <laughs> whether we can actually deliver. I'll use that as a soundbite for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, you could argue it's maybe always been this way, like what, going back to art back in the day, Renaissance, mm. it's like what's good, what's mediocre, what's excellent, you know. It's, it does come down to... I mean, I find, I find that the, the, the interesting thing on television is just the sort of the absolute parallels that television has gone to. On the one hand, it's probably had in the last 15 years some of the best dramatic TV mm. we've, we've ever had mm. plus on the other side some of the most inane drivel that's just propping up maybe another side of the masses yeah. but you know it's a, it's almost like the middle section is just vanishing you're either going to invest in doing it really well as you say or you're mm. just going to just produce schlock but they'll always produce schlock right we produce schlock in advertising we produce schlock in records we produce schlock in, 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 in magazines I just see a wave of too much information and trying to find the needles in the haystack, the gems, the diamonds in the rough, whatever you want to call it, is yeah, proving becomes, more and more difficult. Yeah, that you know? becomes hard. And I also notice that we become increasingly critical. So you're so busy looking for the gem and so busy thinking, oh, wow, uh, where is it, where is it, where is it? And it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. How did you then... Tell me how you've ended up finishing, though, this, this stint in England and... I, uh, my whole plan was to do this travel thing and then I came to, my first stop happened to be Singapore and while I was here I helped out a friend on a writing project interviewing right. some in the travel industry actually and while I was doing that I was offered a job doing PR I still don't know what PR is <laughs> um, that's what they want you to isn't that what everybody yeah. should be doing Yeah, you're supposed, you're supposed to not know what PR is <laughs> <laughs> um, it's insidious but, 
But some great clients, Singapore Airlines, uh, Singapore Tourism Promotion Board was the, the, the... What year was that when you came here? It must have been 88, 89, right. something like that, possibly 88. Good number in Chinese. That explains a lot. That's why I've been here. Yeah, so yeah, long. sure. And the... <laughs> and the <laughs> so you came here and then thought, I quite like it. I quite like this. No, no, not at all. I've never thought I quite liked no, it. Right. I've never actually got to that point. I mean, obviously, I do quite like it. Otherwise, I wouldn't yeah. have stayed here quarter of a century or whatever. Don't say it. Um, <laughs> and then what happened then? The thing that surprised me about public relations in, in Asia was that when a story, they wanted to know something about a story that was breaking, the journalists would call the PR company. And I wanted to say, I'm the last person you should be calling to yeah. get a story. But anyway, on one of those, one of those phone calls from Hong Kong, um, by the end of the call, the editor-in-chief on the other end said, oh, I'm looking for an editor for a magazine I'm producing in, that we, the company, produces in Singapore. Would you like to, would you be interested? Right. So similarly, I went, yeah, okay. So um, I moved then to do um, a luxury lifestyle title called uh, The Peak with a company called Cheney oh, yeah, Communications. So suddenly I found myself editing a magazine, which I'd never done before. I was there about two and a half years or something, and then I got a call from one of my competitor publishers um, telling me that an Australian company was coming into the country and um, was, would I be interested? They're looking for an editor-in-chief. Would I be interested? And I went, no, not really. Who's the company? And, oh, what's the company? And I said, uh, oh, Australian Consolidated Press. And I went, nah, no, nah, not at all. Pretty big. Tell me a little bit more about them. Yeah. They went, oh, it's Kerry Packer. Yeah. And I went, oh, one day cricket. Yeah, okay, I'll come and have a chat. So, yeah, I went and talked about cricket for... Um, did you meet Kerry Packer? Yeah. What did you think of him? Well, I thought he was an enigma and a great great character yeah he polarizes people but I've heard some really fun stories about him well I mean you can hear there's a million stories I mean I, I, I guess he was passionate about whatever he was doing yeah. um, and I think there's not enough of that around anyway uh, anywhere yeah. but and particularly now when managers leaders business leaders are focused so much on bottom line it's very easy to lose the empathy and very easy to lose the passion yeah. Kerry never did that Kerry Packer for those listening is like the, the there's two big media moguls from Australia Rupert Murdoch and Kerry Packer and Packer was it that every bit as big as, as Murdoch back in those days. Murdoch's probably bigger now, and Kerry Packer's no longer with us, but his sons, I think, are still pretty, pretty much well, in control of a lot of Australia and uh, yeah, around the world. And, well, James, is, yeah. his son, is engaged to Mariah Carey. That's right, James Packer, Mariah Carey. You heard it here first, no, you didn't. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, so... Um, okay, so you still don't even dig Singapore, but you've been here for so long. But, like, were you just... Were you just allowing your life to kind of go and all these opportunities yeah, kept I, popping up? Yeah, I always up? think of my... I think of it as an accidental career. Right. Because certainly... So, so I moved to um, to ACP. I got the job and we are the first magazine. I actually... Because you were young. When, were you still in your 20s when you got that job? Yeah. 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 And so, you were head publisher. 
I was editor-in-chief, and we were, I was brought in to launch Cosmopolitan, but the government in Singapore continued to ban it. <laughs> so we had to go through, um, and we ended up launching the Singapore edition of Elle first. Yeah. And suddenly I found myself doing a woman's fashion magazine, which was so far away from who I was. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of bizarre to me. One of the things I have about magazines is I find I don't know how you just keep going and then pick yourself up and start the next one. I mean, how, what, t- tell tell me a little bit about how these mags get made I and think how the, you keep your passion for them. I think the there are there are two key factors that intrigued me and drove me. The one was publishing women's magazines in countries because we then rolled out across Asia in countries where you were still able to make a difference to women who were interested in life questions. So yeah, whether that's relationships, yeah, sex, yeah. fashion shop, what are all that all that stuff was still new. And when you were breaking into Malaysia, into Jakarta, into Thailand, it was a different kind of journalism. I mean, the reason why Cosmopolitan was banned then was because yeah. it was considered to be too racy or sending the wrong, too promiscuous yeah. for, for society. So, you know, and, and then having to publish according to the, the sensitivities and mores of a given country. So, you know, we went into Malaysia and we had to have a completely different uh, approach to things. So, and there's no point trying to be combative or trying to blaze a trail by being deliberately aggressive or deliberately controversial because you still have to run a business and you still have to make sure people's salaries are paid at the end of the month. And tell me a little bit about the question, as I said, about just how you keep going because your issues turns into months, turns into volumes, turns into years. I mean... Well, for me, Does it just I mean, become what like a kind with, of a machine, or um, with with ACP was within eighteen months. I think I was I became I become a CEO. You, you know, at that point, we had two magazines in Singapore, or a magazine in Malaysia, then a magazine in Thailand, then you've got a magazine in Taiwan, and then you meanwhile you've got three magazines in Singapore, and then four magazines in Singapore. So you're. I was on the road constantly. When you're building something and when you're enthused by it, and again, I come back to the people I was fortunate enough to work with and the teams we were fortunate to create, there were some very talented people who responded to the vision, who responded to the to the to what we were trying to, to do. And therefore, you've got a very... I found it to be a very um, uh, collaborative and a growth-oriented situation we we had I'm not saying it was perfect of course it wasn't but in my experience we had very little politics in yeah. any of the offices basically a lot of it is because you didn't have the time no politics, yeah. <laughs> they did a nice documentary back I remember uh, it's kind of stuck with me the, oh, the crying girl the, the, you had it you had it was a, the, the princess Diana death in 97 I guess it was August or whatever 97 that's right and we were they were they were there was a documentary crew in your office as that was all going down which that's was, correct the the ABC um, the in Australia the yeah. public broadcasting they were they were in Singapore doing a documentary on how Australian companies could could prosper in in Asia yeah and yes they were in our office and we were launching 
a Singapore edition of the, the Woman's Weekly, so the Singapore yeah. Woman's Weekly, and magazine already at the printer, and she she was Jewish. There was rumours that she was going to come to um, Singapore right. to do a charity dinner, and of course then she was with Dodie. I find that she she had a. Um, uh, relations with she knew that Imran Khan quite well yeah. so there was a strong Asian so yes there was quite a, well in quotes there yeah quite an interesting story we'd put together and then yes I remember I was driving down one of the roads and I'll listen to the BBC World Service get on the phone again straight away okay can we pull that story and yes and the editor our editor-in-chief Tara Barker of the um, of the Women's Weekly she was quite a, affected by it I, yeah, I know that this, that this image of her just she was really upset on camera on yes camera on crying. camera crying it was so sad I knew her I think I met her a couple of times she's, she's still there she's still oh, in the company she? yeah blow tar if you listen <laughs> um, so so how long did you spend at ACP 20 years right and one of the questions I have really is when do you decide and how do you decide alright I'm going to move on and try something else well in that <laughs> In that instance, because um, it was very successful, you came in yeah, and you grew the business successful. to to a, a stable, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. Thoroughbred, yeah, thoroughbred of magazine. Yeah, so we were publishing Cosmopolitan in two markets. We were publishing editions of Harper's Bazaar, and we had some some of the biggest names on our covers. We were shooting Cindy Crawford, Janet Jackson. It was successful, and then um, in Aus- Australia was going through some changes so we decided to sell the Southeast Asia business who bought that? Singapore Press Holdings oh really? yeah uh, what sort of a fist have they made with it? Uh, it's Cosmopolitan closed last year mm. it's a tough market out there for yeah. magazines at the we're moment we're in Singapore you can't criticise the government <laughs> um, what <laughs> sorry we scratched that um, uh, but it's on tape here because her pet is probably booked up sorry um, <laughs> is it fair to say your job was like Anna Wintour's is that the same job that she does I get I get um, that a lot people yeah. say in fact but I was she do, like the actual job spec of her and you is kind of similar would that be right it was in terms of the fact that the amount of control she had um, or, or how she runs her, as I perceive it, how she runs her operation. Um, she has a great team around her. She has an awful lot of, um, before she went across titles, uh, when she was at Vogue, she had a lot of bottom line responsibility. Right. And she took that very seriously. Relationships with advertisers and things like that seemed to be a big part of her job. Um, my job had grown into something where there was M&A activity and um, more managing licenses. And you and didn't really go, it's not your speed to be all frou-frou into the fashion thing, which she is, right? I um, mean, you're into it, well, but like, you're, not the, you're not the kind of... You're, I mean, when I, was, when I was editor-in-chief, yeah, I mean, I was in Paris and, um, and doing the shows and right. the, the fashion shows. Um, but no, but you'd have to go to this, but I mean, she was, she's almost like... Well, she is a, a duck. God I mean, you can, or whatever. She's, she really she is. Says. Well, she's a very influential. She's a real director of yeah. fashion. Yes, I mean, yes. she is such a strong. You know, her endorsement can make or That's break a I designer mean. these yeah. days. Yeah. And I think she's doing. Um, it's it's with the new wave of designers that are coming through. 
it must be increasingly difficult again to pick that the couturier because the same pressure is on a, des- a fashion designer right. as is a creative director yeah you're only as you good know, as your last you, collection you, yeah you're only as good but you've also got it used to be a couple of collections or three collections a year now you've got to worry about homewares makeup yeah. um, perfume cruise lines pret-a-porter high end I mean the whole the whole shebang so it's a tough one to then maintain your standards in that did you oversee a lot of great change in the designers coming out of Asia? I haven't really seen a great deal of creative change. What I have seen is a bit better marketing around them, a little bit more investment into them. I mean, is it fair we haven't really got a world designer, or too many of them anyway, out of Southeast Asia, India, Indonesia, you know, Vietnam? I can't think of one myself, but I'm, that's not I mean, that's not saying much. There are there, but are they competing on a on a French standard or an Italian? No. no. Yeah, yeah. Outside of Japan. What would you say to somebody listening to this who's actually in journalism school? One of the biggest fortune, the biggest strengths I've had in my career is I've worked in virtually every department from yeah, from to, laying out a yeah. page to writing the stuff to, to doing the business plan mm. to market plan, marketing plan I've done I've done that um, I don't think you can know you can know too much you do need to learn how to filter out the information you don't need you need to know how to craft a sentence yeah. cleverly but very simply the fewer syllables you use the better read the Dubliners if you want simple language <laughs> in a complex <laughs> perfect you know you're going to write stories a thousand words three thousand words but you need to be able to tell the story in five paragraphs Mm. and that was back then it's never been more applicable now yeah it's just soundbite culture but you see it's soundbite culture but people are writing soundbites and they're trying to to write hooks it, it, it went to headlines and now it's going oh you just need a picture and a hook to make people click through but a hook isn't good enough. You actually need to be able to say in 15 words what you need, the information you need to pass on. If they click through, that's a matter of choice. Yeah. Am I hearing at the back of this a, a sort of bemoaning the training or the, the... Because of the sort of culture we live in, people want to be there faster. They don't want to cut corners. They want to be up the food chain and they want to be famous. I mean, is that what I'm hearing behind a lot of this or...? Oh, I think there's a definite need for, uh, it's a fashionable term now, mentoring. Yeah. I, I have been fortunate enough to work with for some brilliant people. I consider them brilliant. I probably learned more off the people who I thought were crap. Yeah. Because then you learn how not to do it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the assumption that you think you know it all that's when whatever god universe you believe in will throw you the curveball and think you're you think you're so smart try this yeah. i'm a great subscriber to that and you know you can you can learn from anywhere and be observant people forget to look at things and forget to observe. what about in a kind of a life area rather than a, in specifically to do with uh, say journalism or, or or your career what about what have you learned in a in a life sense that would be good passing on 
Breathing helps. Eating helps. <laughs> you know what? You just got to accept the fact that you will move smoothly from crisis to crisis, and um, <laughs> they keep on coming. <laughs> they just keep on coming. So, I work. Does for, it get easier as you get older to go through them, or harder? I think you get you get better able to manage them. Right. I mean, I, I I'm a uh, I'm, I'm quite Buddhist in my approach to things like yeah. that. It's the past is history, the future is a mystery, the present is a gift. Enjoy it. That's the nice, it, by the way. That's a nice place to end the conversation with a quote from the Buddha himself or herself. Yoda. Yoda. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, Julie Sherwood, thank you for being on a pint with Shawnee B. Really enjoyed that chat again. I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know about you. And um, I'll catch you next time around. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye.